Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Silence. At times it can be a rare commodity, but when it comes from the church at large, it can be extremely harmful for Christians. When should pastors speak up about topical issues and what should they say? Our hosts discuss it next. And keep listening after the conversation to find out how to enter a drawing for an audio set from the Alliance. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin, speaking in slightly hushed tones today because Todd and I decided to get a bit of rest and relaxation by coming to a Trappist monastery in order to soak up the sound of silence. Unfortunately, the plan hasn't quite worked out as we expected because somebody tipped Amy off to the fact that we're here. So, as you can imagine, the silence has been somewhat subverted, if not shattered, in the last few minutes. But Todd, yeah. silence, yeah. always a good thing, it, surely. It, it, it's, it's typically a good thing. I mean, Amy came in shouting for room service. She didn't quite get the whole monastery thing. Um, so And and she wanted, like, fresh gardenias in her room or something. But um, We Amy, have created a monster. We, we have been, created a monster. She, exactly. Now that she's um, uh, on, a, on a podcast, she really thinks she's all well, that. I'll just so. go find the wine cellar here, and you guys can do the podcast. <laughs> she she was nothing until we discovered her. She was That's right. nothing. That's right. Well, listen. Okay, so the talk of silence um, brings me to an interesting email that I received. This is not a uh, uh, an illustration for the podcast. This really happened. Uh, a friend of mine uh, sent me an email just a few months ago. Uh, he was concerned. Uh, he asked me if I had particular knowledge of, of the church that he and his wife were attending. Um, it happens to be a, a church that I'm familiar with. Uh, we, we share the same denomination, but he, his question was, Todd, do you know if such and such a church is a liberal church? Well, I, I, I responded back and just asked him, why are you asking me this? And his response was really interesting to me. And this is why I kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit with you too, is he said, well, it's not so much what they're saying. It's all the things that they choose not to say. It's all the things that they're silent on, basically. And I thought, that's a pretty good way to identify what what is a problem in some, interestingly enough, confessional churches and confessional churches where, where there seems to be uh, silence or maybe an increasing silence on issues that we would identify as very important. Uh, what do you a, think? What do you, what it's do a you direct say? contrast on being a confessional church well, for one you know, thing. It's so strange. Yeah, because confessions, you know, by their nature are pretty wordy documents. They mm-hmm. get specific. They call for affirmation um, and denials very often. They identify errors. You know, the confessional church is going to talk about some things because we have these confessions that help teach us. They serve as uh, pedagogical tools to help us understand truth from error, etc. But yeah, so it seems to be a First of all, a contradiction for for a confessional church, but yeah, I wonder if, if if either of you have seen the same thing or, or had some of the same experiences where there's a what, what I would call a, a troubling silence on certain issues where we better not be silent. If so, where where are you seeing it? I think one of the obvious places in contemporary culture on that issue is is human sexuality. Yeah, that there have been a number of statements made recently by. Uh, Presbyterian churchmen, where when you read the statements themselves, it's hard to say they're wrong. 
the problem is that certain things aren't said, that you have an attempt to articulate a position on sexuality which, to borrow a, a cliché from elsewhere, is, is sort of center-bounded, mm-hmm. is determined by what's at the center without realizing that actually in order to establish a center, one must also establish boundaries, outer edges. Historically, of course, the church has always done that. When you look at debates about the Trinity in the 4th century or you look at the Chalcedonian formula mm-hmm. of the 5th century, Council of Chalcedon 451, what the church did there was it defined God as Trinity, defined the incarnation of Christ, and does so not simply by making assertions about God, but particularly with the Chalcedonian formula, by essentially telling you what you can't right. say about Christ. If you cross this boundary, then you're a heretic, right. then, then you've got a problem. And I think when one draws the analogy to the present day, one has to say you cannot articulate a positive vision of the Christian faith without also making it very clear what the Christian faith is not. Mm-hmm. And that requires you firmly, gently, w- without hatefulness, pointing to certain things and saying, you know, that's outside the boundary. Because we live in a world where, you know, the world preaches to us and it preaches to our congregations six days out of seven, if not six and a half days out of seven. And we need to make it very clear where the boundaries lie between what Scripture says, what we say when we preach, and what the world is trying to persuade people is the truth about reality. Yeah. I've been troubled by a, a trend I'm seeing within confessional Presbyterian circles. So so we're not talking about Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. We're not talking about the Disciples of Christ here. We're talking about confessional Presbyterian churches where their talk of the gospel is mostly framed uh, in categories of uh, the age to come and the new creation. And, and the invitation, even on their websites, is... You know, the gospel is, is, is our journey towards God making all things new. Now, to your earlier point, Carl, is that wrong? Well, well, no, it's just that there's so many essential things left out that it practically, in a practical way, becomes wrong. It's like me saying, if somebody asks a question about my family and I say, I have a son, well, that's true. But I also have another son and a daughter. So it's not that what I've said is not true. It's just that it's very lacking in a way that it can end up being misleading. And that's my concern, for instance, on the issue of the gospel and salvation. Is I, I, I heard from a gentleman just with, in less than a week ago who shared with me that he was very concerned about his church. Again, a confessional reformed church where he no longer hears the gospel framed in terms of atonement, justification, judgment, uh, substitutionary atonement. And so whatever else then is said about the gospel, it's going to end up being misleading if you leave out those categories. Even if, even if what they do say is technically true, it's going to end up being misleading mm-hmm. because he's ripped the, the guts out of it. Yeah. We've got these phrases now like human flourishing that right. are kind of sub- substituting exactly. um, these major doctrines. And so it's very ambiguous. And I know I was talking to you guys last night just – well, before I go speak with any um, at the women's retreats I do and things like that, one thing I pray for is clarity mm-hmm. in what I'm saying. And then I was asking you about that with your preaching, Todd, and you were saying, yes, definitely. You know, you want to you want to preach clearly. Mm-hmm. And yet this is kind of 
it almost seems like purposeful ambiguity, doesn't yeah. it? I, yeah. To me, that's exactly what it seems like. And Carl, you mentioned earlier the issue of sexuality, yeah. which I think is a prime example of this right now. Yeah. We're seeing from Presbyterians, some prominent Presbyterians, yeah. on, on this issue where th- they, they still might be holding, at least we're pretty sure they're still holding to the biblical prohibition, but what they're not saying well, it's not so clear anymore now. Yeah. And I would, you know, I'm going to call out urban pastors at this point. Yes. I would say that this is a particular problem among urban pastors. Yeah. By urban pastor, I don't mean somebody who's ministering in a city. Right. I mean those pastors who in the last decade have made it an aspect of cool chic mm. to be ministering in an urban environment. Right. And when you like the reputation of being cool and chic, mm-hmm. Then when the culture shifts in such a way that some of your beliefs are impossible to hold and still remain right. cool and chic, you're going to start to soft pedal on them right. or you're going to drop them from your, uh, from your repertoire of preaching. Right. Reminded me, Todd, of the, the infamous sermon you preached at my uh, installation, <laughs> uh, the blood on the hand <laughs> Absolutely. sermon. But you go to that text in Acts 20. Mm-hmm. And Paul says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And Paul doesn't just say, I did not shrink from preaching to you some counsel of God or a counsel of God. He says the whole counsel of God. When Paul looks back on his ministry, which was often pursued in an urban environment, much to Paul's cost, nobody thought Paul was cool. Exactly. They they flogged him, they imprisoned him, etc., etc., when he was preaching in, uh, in, in cities. He preached the whole counsel of God. And it's interesting in that text that he then goes immediately on to say, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained by his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Mm -hmm. Fierce wolves. If fierce wolves are coming in to not spare the flock, you just... You don't tell your flock just about the furry kittens right. that God has made. Or well, the nice they have lamb. fierce convictions, so we better have fierce yeah. convictions. You need to you need to be calling Warning. out the fierce wolves, Absolutely. naming them. Yeah, and not to do that, even if you know you present a lovely picture of of, of fluffy furry right. kittens mm-hmm. and injured puppies being nursed back to life, and whatever it is that you know urban pastors preach on these days, uh, you've still got to call right. out the wolves. You know what this kind of reminds me of? Reminds me of the Truman Friend Test. How's that go? The Truman Friend Test is, who do you want with you in a bar late at night when a fight breaks out? (laughs) Mm -hmm. You want the guy who doesn't hesitate to smash a chair over the head of the person who's going for you with the knife. That's exactly what we're talking about. Boldness for Christ. Do we have it? Yeah. I don't want somebody admiring the knife of the person who's coming after me. I want somebody who's going to defend me from the guy. <laughs> exactly. The you, you, you're not going to be, you know, your niceness isn't going to yeah, get you out of it. Exactly. That. You know, Carl, it, it, it reminds me, what you just brought up reminds me of when we first started this podcast. I think the first or second one we actually recorded had to do with uh, the coolness of the young, uh, restless and reform movement and how we were very. Cautious, exactly, exactly, and and the bottom line is, you cannot be cool in an urban setting, and believe that homosexuality is a sin, and believe in substitutionary atonement. You can't be cool. You will not be considered hip. You will be driven from their midst because ultimately, it's not our style that they have a problem with. It's our doctrine, and that's why we're seeing silence 
on issues related to the atonement and issues related to sexuality. That's why we're seeing silence among otherwise, quote-unquote, confessional Presbyterians. It's a question of who you want to please, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Do you want to please the Lord or do you want to please your urban constituency right. or, or, your, or your suburban constituency sure. or your rural constituency? Mm-hmm. I think the problem is particularly prevalent among yeah. the, uh, the urbanites, right. but it's coming everywhere right. and it's coming soon. And mm-hmm. there's going to be a decision that yeah. one has to make. Yeah. It's also connected to the podcast we did on niceness, I think, because it, this ambiguity is very subtle. It's very manipulative, but it's also like the agreeable. Mm-hmm. And we can't contrast it a little bit. Um, the fruit of kindness is is not the same. It's benevolent, benevolent, compassionate, gracious, mm-hmm. and favorable. So, you know, are we trying to to please people, or are we really trying to serve people? Mm-hmm. And you're going to end up taking a hit there, right? Right. If you're and serving them, yeah. And of course, it's very hard to prove a negative in those mm-hmm. when people are sort of being nice. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't want to be accused. It's like the worst thing to be accused of right now is not being nice. Oh, it is. Yeah. It is. That's the kiss of death. The um, the the unforgivable sin in evangelicalism is uh, a lack of niceness. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what people oftentimes want is not genuine, deep kindness, which involves at times difficult words and mm-hmm. difficult things to say. Oftentimes, what what people want is is this sentimentality. Now, now, Carl, you mentioned something. You know, you brought up the the, the issue of sexuality, homosexuality. I, I, th- this is again an area where I'm concerned, and what I'm seeing in regards to silence on this issue in our own circles, uh, ref- you know, otherwise reformed confessional Presbyterianism, is that. There's still a place to talk about homosexuality, but but if we're still affirming that it's wrong, we only we're only hearing it affirmed in some circles as it's a problem for human flourishing. Where where, where the silence is starting to creep in is on issues like um, oh, you know it's an abomination too, mm-hmm. um, it's a sin against God. Um, uh, to, to just simply repeat the biblical language yeah. about mm-hmm. it, and so instead we've we've created new categories. Now, would we agree that it's problematic for human flourishing? Well, yes, it kills people, it destroys bodies. So of course, it's it's antithetical. It doesn't produce so, offspring. Yeah, exactly, it's antithetical to human flourishing. Of course, it is, but it also damns the soul. And so, one of the things I've heard a lot, and I don't know if either of you have heard this, and, and this has been distressing, is I hear an increasing number of voices saying, "Well." You know, no one goes to hell because they're homosexual or no one goes to hell because they're gay. And, of course, I, well, I beg to differ um, that, you know, we have vice lists in the New Testament, yeah. um, the drunkards and the swindlers and the greedy and uh, the homosexual. The point is unrepentant sinners uh, go to hell. And I fear that, that we're beginning to hear misleading information and an increase of silence in regard to this particular issue because we've granted ontological status to something that the Bible just simply calls a sin. Yeah, we, we've now so so again. It, it, it's it's the withdrawal, the keeping from God's people of whole biblical categories to help them navigate life. Yeah. It's unloving. It yeah. is absolutely unloving to the person who struggles with same sex attraction. Instead of telling them the full truth, calling them graciously to holiness, we're just giving them vague language about human flourishing and calling that love. Yeah. And underlying it is a notion of sin as that which hinders human flourishing. Sin is much more radical than that. Yes. And sometimes I have to say that the, the answer to sin is destructive of immediate human flourishing. Mm-hmm. Think of the example of uh, Jesus' 
exorcism of the demoniac of the Gerasenes, mm. what happens is the pigs all jump over the cliff and get drowned. The immediate response of the people in the area is, get out of here. We don't want you around here. Why don't they want Jesus around there? He's just tanked the economy. This is a Gentile area of Palestine. The economy is built on pig breeding. Mm -hmm. Jesus has cured this man of his demon possession. He's put the demons in the pigs. The pigs have drowned. The economy is in the tank. Jesus coming to town did not improve the local economy. (laughs) Did not make the economy flourish. Jesus coming to town tanked that economy right. because we would say it was an unclean economy right, right. so it's uh, like paul was it in ephesus where he hurt the silversmith yeah. trade yeah because mm-hmm. they, because people yeah, stopped buying idols there's another yeah. example of the same principle the idea that sin can be adequately expressed in categories of human flourishing mm-hmm. is unbiblical right mm-hmm. uh, certainly that's part of an apologetic argument we can use right. but it fails to address the seriousness of sin and, and so that's that's a perfect example of where this problem of silence comes in where Yes, it's a correct category. That's yeah. part of it. But because there's silence on the other parts, it ends up being misleading. Yeah, it's a damaging. subcategory with a larger categorical context, right. which is being ignored. It's also right. a false dichotomy. Absolutely. I yeah. think that people think that, oh, either you're going to be this um, f- flame-throwing, mm. torches, right. you know, meanie, mm-hmm. or you're going to be completely silent or am- am- ambiguous. Yeah. And so I really like what Jude has to say at the end there, because I think a reason why so many people are silent against false teaching is because it's hard. Mm-hmm. If somebody tells me about a great book they're reading and I know that it's a damaging book, right. I need to think about how I'm going to respond to this person. Am I just going to be like, that's a horrible book. I can't believe right. you're reading it. It's full of false teaching. Yeah. Or am I going to be gentle and ask right. some questions? And so in Jude, he says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy without fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So it takes a lot of discernment, and it does take a lot of love and care and good modeling uh, by good elders in your church as well to know how to to do that. And that points to a certain kind of pastoring. Right. Yes. That you can only make those kind of discerning calls if the people governing the church know the people. Not that the pastor knows every single individual person well, but everybody in the church connects back to the eldership in some way. So Mm -hmm. when the elders, the leadership of the church get together and talk about these things, they're able to to discern the way forward. Because you don't want to be a church where every Sunday the text is homosexuality is wrong or Mm -hmm. abortion is wrong. Mm -hmm. We we don't want to get to the position where everything you say is a negative or everything you say is calling out a wolf. That's not preaching the whole counsel of God either. You've got to use discernment here. But that discernment is partly connected to accurate knowledge of people. Jude is assuming there, the people he's writing to, know the people they're teaching. Mm -hmm. And again, it points us towards an appropriate model of church, which is not that a church can never be more than X hundred or X thousand people, but that every church, people have to be connected in such a way that the leadership and the preacher can make critical decisions about what issues need to be addressed this week and how should they be best addressed in order to equip the congregation for their lives Monday through Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think the point's very valuable that um, there needs to be um, a a great deal of wisdom exercised by the elders and and the teachers and, and the pastor about um, making sure that uh, you don't respond uh, to the error of silence by calling out, trying to call out every single error every single Sunday. Carl, I think you were mentioning earlier before we, we, we started recording here just about, you know, there, there, there may be a church where 
it's in a particular area where a particular error is just not really on the radar screen right now. You, you don't have to, a pastor doesn't have to make his church aware of every conceivable heresy or error that is out there. But it goes to how well does a pastor know his church? Mm-hmm. What's how, affecting his congregation exactly. at that what time? What are they reading? What's out there? Mm-hmm. And how do I respond? How do we as elders respond so to those things? So pastors have to be in tune yep. to the world that's out there yep. and, and what their congregation is up against. Right, right. So hopefully what what we do is is we bring clarity to our people. Pastors owe their congregations uh, clarity on, on these issues. Um, and uh, hopefully what we're doing Sunday to Sunday is preaching the whole word, uh, the whole counsel of God's word. Um, because as I told Carl in his installation service, <laughs> we have blood on our hands, <laughs> Carl, blood on our hands. That's how responsible yeah, uh, yeah. We, uh, we are. And, and it's true, you know, Paul, Paul speaks in those sobering categories yeah. because he saw it as a life and death issue. And the other aspect of this as well is that I, I do think the preaching and the leadership of a church set the tone of the congregation, mm-hmm. whether it's that a certain leadership style attracts a certain kind of right. person or whether it's that a certain leadership sh- style shapes people in a certain way. Uh, if you have a relentlessly negative pulpit, you will have mm-hmm. relentlessly negative and hypercritical people. If you have a relentlessly mushy nice therapeutic pulpit you will have people who are incapable of using discernment as they navigate their lives and also just in um in talking with your congregants one thing i really appreciate in my church is that my pastor really listens Mm -hmm. to the people so i think that they feel like they can come to him with questions Mm. right and um they aren't afraid to do that right yeah yeah that matters Mm -hmm. yeah so it makes it makes the people more teachable really absolutely Absolutely. Yeah, and it goes to the heart again of the, the whole shift towards internet church and things like mm. this and mega churches and yeah. pastors being beamed in from a great distance. I'm not sure that, you know, yes, can you get some information yeah. through media like that? Absolutely. But I'm not sure that your pastor can shape you in quite the way that Jude envisages in his epistle. That's not what's going on there. Right, right. Yeah, when, when, you're, when, you're with, when a pastor is with his people, and knowing his church and learning his church continually, he'll know what he must not remain silent on. He'll know what to speak up on and what can be put on the back burner, at least for now. So, Well, that's to the congregants as well, a message to the congregants and the lay people, because we need to be in church. We need to be faithfully sitting under the preached word and the sacraments and participating in the church life with the covenant people of God. Yeah. Well, we're really glad you joined us. This is another failed experiment in us trying to be silent for any uh, uh, length of time at all. So uh, on behalf of my other two talkers, thanks for joining us for Mortification of Spin. Please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, and we'll talk to you again soon. In restless dreams I walked alone streets of
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen that exists to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Head over to mortificationofspin.org now to enter a drawing with the Alliance to win a free copy of How Firm a Foundation, an MP3 set of messages from the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. Be sure to catch next week's Bully Pulpit. We have decided to read Rosaria Butterfield's latest book, Openness Unhindered. And her book isn't just about sexual identity. It's really about life in Christ. What is so helpful is she places the issue of the sin of homosexuality in the larger context of what is genuine conversion to Christ and what repentance from sin actually means. She then sets the issue of of homosexuality, of same-sex attraction, etc., etc., within that context of that broader anthropological and theological discussion. Don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to enter the drawing and hear more from Carl, Amy, and Todd. Chanting. Maybe we should just have a long, silent podcast. <laughs> Trappist podcast. I could breathe. Uh, 27 uh, minutes. Make our and, uh, <laughs> without saying a word. And now Amy's a librarian. She goes, shh. If she hears any noise.